This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. There is an old adage that death is a part of the cycle of life. But when someone close to you dies, it becomes so much more than just a saying. You miss them. You want them back. You seek comfort from your family and friends, because the grief you experience can be all-encompassing. But when a loss happens in the middle of a pandemic, much of what we rely on disappears, and we need to figure out how to cope on our own. This week, we're going to explore the science of grief. We're going to learn how grief affects us in normal times and how the pandemic can make things so much worse. We'll also look at the difference between simple and complicated grief and how we can avoid the obstacles that make it even more difficult to get by. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and I'm going to help you to understand the grief that so many are suffering right now. And maybe find ways to get you through these difficult moments. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. When a pandemic strikes, there's one absolute guarantee. People are going to suffer, and many are going to die. It's sad. It's unfair. Most of all, It hurts. Losing a loved one to any circumstance, disease, sudden accidents, or violence, can be a crushing blow that can impair your ability to function. But when it happens in the midst of a pandemic, it can be even worse. Now, we've all heard about some of the theories about grief and those stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But when it comes to the science of grief, it is much more complex. It's why I've reached out to Catherine Shear to talk with me about this incredibly difficult topic. She is the Marion E. Kenworthy Professor of Psychiatry and Social Work at the Columbia School of Social Work and the Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. She's also the founding director of the Center for Complicated Grief. She has been exploring the nature of grief for over 25 years and has developed an understanding not only of the causes, but also of the ways we can better integrate grief into our lives. What are the different types of grief? So we're going to define grief as the experience of the response to a loss and to an important loss. Actually, we our work centers on the loss of someone close, of a loved one. The, the response that we have is a full body response. It's a psychological physiological, social behavioral, all kinds of behavioral response, and even a spiritual response. From that standpoint, grief is unique to each loss and each person, each person and each loss. But in general, we, we think of grief as being acute, integrated, or complicated. So those are sort of different forms of grief. 
other people define grief in a lot. There, there's lots of ways of looking at grief because fundamentally it's a complex, multifaceted and time varying experience that we have. Can you tell us a little more about that time variance? It can change. It, it can feel differently over a matter of days, weeks, months, and even sometimes even hourly or even from minute to minute, it can change. So that's what I mean by time, time varying. That is so different from what I thought was time variance. I thought it referred to how we respond or react to certain situations or environmental factors. I mean, we're currently in the middle of a pandemic, and that must have some factoring when it comes to understanding or even experiencing grief. What you said, I would call context. So the context of what's happening in our life, where we are developmentally, like you mentioned, what else is going on around us, what are the circumstances in which the person is dying and what's the context in which they're dying and what's the context in which we're grieving, all of that is very, very important. And yes, COVID is bringing certain challenges to the grieving experience that are very important. Is the concept of grief different because of the pandemic? Does it differ from, say, other types of death, such as those from cancer or or a car accident? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there are two kinds of grief occurring during COVID. One is grief there are two kinds of deaths, not really, there are many kinds of griefs, but there, there are two kinds of deaths. One kind of death is a death that's occurring from COVID itself. And that, you know, that brings a whole set of, again, of challenges that accompany it and, and sort of special circumstances. But then there's also, grief is also occurring after death from any other cause. And certainly COVID doesn't protect us from death from, say, cancer or heart attack or a stroke or a car accident, or for that matter, sadly, suicide or murder. Death is occurring in the same way it always does during the pandemic. And then the pandemic affects us because of the ways that we are, you know, of course, the, the social restrictions, the, the lockdown is dramatically affecting the way that we grieve, the way that we grieve with other people. And also the other challenges that that so many people are facing, the, the economic challenges all of us are facing, and but some people rather extremely losing a job, financial insecurity, for some people even food insecurity, multiple losses from COVID, losses of all kinds of everyday life things that we rely on for our sort of our social life, our, our social identities, even our personal identities. So we're being very affected by, by COVID losses in addition to whatever loss of a loved one we might experience during this period. I want to move away from COVID for a moment and focus on grief from a general perspective. I've talked with people who have lost loved ones to a variety of different causes. As I said, car accidents and cancer, and sadly, suicide. They all tell me the same thing. That feeling is temporary. They're going to get over it. Eventually, it's just going to be a distant memory. But I'm not so sure, especially after reading your research. 
And I'm wondering if this integration is due to the fact that the person has had such an effect on us over the course of our lives that even when they're gone, inside of us, they're really not. The answer to that is yes. And, you know, because the issue is that the people we love are really, they really are literally a part of us. And this, this there's a lot of research about close relationships. The field of science that relates to this is called attachment theory. And what that tells us is that it's, it's basically in our biology to seek and then form and then maintain relationships with a small number of people in our lives. That's And, and, and this sort of biological impetus to do this starts actually in utero. So we know that, for example, a baby, the first day that they're born, can recognize, they can distinguish their own mother from another mother who's just given birth to a baby. And the, the way we know that is because the, the rate of sucking on a pacifier that has an electronic, so babies suck when they first, when they first, or when they're first born. And so you can actually, you can actually see different responses to the presence of their own mother compared to another mother. So, so that's starting right then. Of course, it, as the baby, the infant grows and develops into a child and then a child into an adult, the complexity of these relationships increases. But we map the people that we love in our brains in a sort of specific way. And once it, this is really mapping different kinds of memories of the person. So and memories are, are complex, neurobiologically complex in the sense that we have memories that we, you and I probably talk about as memories, you know, what you remember from some time in your past. But we also, we also have memories that are kind of, kind of um, developed from a lot of different actual experiences and the knowledge that we learn. So we know, we know things about people we love that we learn over time that don't necessarily relate to a very specific experience. And we also learn emotional reactions to the people we love. So there are things that are completely out of our awareness that we learn, emotions being one of them, but also just understandings that are out of our awareness. That's called implicit memory. And all of that combined sort of ends up being what we call a mental representation of the person, of, of people we love. And those are very prominent in our, in our mental life. They help us in all sorts of ways in our everyday life. So how do we adapt so that we can integrate that grief into our lives? When, when someone we love dies, the, all of those memories and that whole system of mental representation, it doesn't go away. It's with us, and it's going to be with us for the rest of our lives. So what, what we have to do, though, is adapt to the fact the reality that the person is no longer here. And that's really what changes grief. So initially, initially, all we want is to have that person back. And that's really what acute grief is about. It's yearning and longing and, and feeling very distressed, sad, maybe angry, anxious, sometimes guilty about the fact that they're not here. But we have a big emotional reaction to the fact that they're not there that really centers on wanting them back, though. And over time, as we learn to 
accept the fact that they're gone and not coming back and accept and adapt to all of the changes that entails. Because again, losing someone close doesn't only mean the fact that they're not going to be in your life. It also has, it brings all kinds of other changes. Like you might have to do some mundane things, like if you might have to shop for food, if they shopped for food, or you might have to cook food, if they cook food, or you might have to do the dishes, if they did the dishes, or, you know, all kinds of those kinds of everyday things are changed. And then your your relationships with other people change and other people respond to the loss of a person that you love very much. Maybe they have other very close, they usually do have other close relationships because we don't only have one close relationship. So your relationships are going to change. There's just many, many changes and they are dependent on the nature of your relationship with the person who died. And like we were saying before, the context that of your life, the context of the world in which this occurs. So as you adapt in that way to the to accepting basically the reality of the loss in all these ways, which also includes the acceptance of the reality that grief is permanent, because if grief is the response to loss and a loss is permanent then it follows, right, that grief is going to be permanent as well. Even after you've integrated grief, could it possibly still come back to haunt you? Almost like a post-traumatic stress? Again, I don't know if you've lost anyone close in your life, your parents or grandparents or whatever, but if you have, and I ask you, do you, do you remember that person? Of course, you, of course you remember them. And do you care about them still? Of course you still care about them. And so do you feel still like you miss them sometimes in your life, that you miss them? Do you feel sad that they're gone? Of course you do. And that's, that's kind of, that's what grief is. And then let's say, let's say you've lost a parent and you have a child at some point in your life. In a context of having lost your parent, chances are you're going to, all of a sudden you're going to miss them a lot more again. The grief that gets integrated and is generally speaking in the background and, and not so um, intense and kind of dominant in your life, which is, is what it's like in the beginning, will, once it's integrated, it still can become intense for a period of time. When we lose someone close to us, that just basically undermines our whole sense of ourself. And we have to kind of restore that sense of self like we matter and belong in our lives we have to do all that another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
As you heard, grief is not something that comes and goes away. It is with us forever. While that may sound disheartening or even frightful, when you think about it, it's how we honor our loved ones. We keep them with us and make sure their impact on this earth is never forgotten. But that process takes time, and more importantly, a community of support. This is one experience we simply cannot and should not be forced to do by ourselves. The problem is that when you have a pandemic like COVID-19 and we are unable to be around those who can comfort us, it can get very complicated. Not to mention when a loved one has COVID-19, we may not necessarily have the ability to prepare for their suffering, especially when that person isn't a part of the most effective social groups like the elderly or healthcare workers. It's why Catherine Shear has taken the time to look at the effects of this pandemic on the grieving process and how we can find better ways to recognize the problems so we can understand them and help others when we can. Perhaps more importantly, what we learn about grief during a pandemic might also lead to a safer future for us all. Is the nature of the cause of death, in this particular case a virus, SARS-CoV-2, going to alter the way that people experience grief when someone they love passes on? So I would say that it's not exactly the virus itself, because it, but rather the COVID pandemic. Okay, so the, the fact that the virus is acting the way it is in the community is what is going to alter the way that people experience grief. And, and in particular, what's going to alter it are things that the main thing, as we all know, is the lockdown. And the fact that what that means is that someone that we love is going to be ill with COVID. And in that context, we're going to have to stay away from them. So they, the first thing that happens is they have to be quarantined. So we're, we're not able to take care of them when they're ill in the same way that we would if, if they were dying in some other way, if they had a terminal illness in some other way where we can really become very, you know, very close in, very comforting caregivers. It's much more difficult to do that. We can't, we can't touch them. We can't be phys- physically close to them. So that affects the whole experience of the illness. And then that is writ large in a sense with the death because we want to be with someone who's dying and it means so much to to both well we think it means a lot to the person who is dying that's something i think a lot of us believe and and then it also very much um, means a lot to the grieving person to be able to remember that to be able to hold on to that, to, to have been with this love, a loved one as they make that transition is a very powerful experience, and we're not having those experiences. And so that becomes one of those stopping points that we have to deal with, because that's going to bother us. And so we're going we're gonna to start to worry, if only this, if only that. And that will change the process. If we have to spend more time at that stopping point. And then we also, the the same, you know, other kinds of things about the COVID situation that matter are, of course, the fact that we're not going to have a lot of people hugging us and coming over and sitting with us um, as as we grieve. That's going to affect us. 
And the fact that we may be afraid now of becoming ill ourselves, we may be, have other people in our lives who are ill, we may be worried about other people in our lives who are ill. All of these things take our attention and our time in a way that doesn't usually happen, right? We maybe also have lost our, our job and we may all, already be very worried about what we're going to be able to do. But are we going to get our job back? Are we going to um, be able to find any employment? Are we, are we going to be in trouble financially? Are we already in trouble financially? These other concerns that COVID has brought to the whole community are going to affect a bereaved person as well in a big way. We tend to think of signs and symptoms when it comes to looking for something that may be wrong with another person. Has your research into COVID and grief, and I appreciate that it's only been a short period of time, has that developed any specific signs or symptoms associated with loss as a result of the pandemic that makes it unique from other more conventional causes of death? So I, I, would, I would say that the main one is related to the restriction of physical contact. That is so completely different from other situations of, of loss and death. And so it's not absolutely unique. There are other times when people aren't able to be with someone who dies, but this is, you know, the whole community is, is like this. And the other, I guess the other things that are kind of unique about this is the way that the whole entire world is affected by this. And so, you know, people, people grieve in a context and the context is really different. But the signs and symptoms that the person experiences actually are surprisingly similar across different kinds of deaths, actually. So that goes back to, to something you said in the very beginning, except that the stopping points are going to be more obvious in there and they're going to be more common. We're, we're going to more commonly see people worrying about the fact that they weren't able to be with the person and maybe being angry. I think there's a lot more anger and and somewhat more guilt in this situation than we ordinarily see in in a the death of someone close. When we're thinking about COVID-19 deaths, we tend to see weeks from the initial signs of infection to the unfortunate moment of passing. It's not really all that sudden. So would we see... It's not really all that sudden like we would see in a car crash or heart attack like we talked about before. But because it is a pandemic and it is so new, perhaps people are just not giving themselves time to prepare. Do you think that this particular timeline prior to death, in addition to the virus itself, gives us an opportunity to develop some kind of new preparatory intervention so that we can help people with the grieving process after death has occurred? Well, that would be nice. But I would say that actually, I think it's, it, it is really almost as sudden as a car crash or a heart attack because, as you know, most people thankfully, do not die when they, when they become ill of COVID. So if your family member becomes ill, you know, someone you love becomes ill, you're not going to automatically say, okay, now I have to prepare for their death. 
because you're going to you're going to really be focusing on okay they're going to be the one that survives and that's actually reasonable because most people do survive and so the ones that don't it is kind of sudden and unexpected now we know that the majority of those are older people so i guess if you if if what we're talking about is an older person who becomes sick with covid then maybe you know maybe it would be a little bit more like getting a cancer diagnosis for example and having some time to prepare but the, but as you said the the timeline is shorter but still the problem is that part of that preparation usually entails conversations with the person who's ill and that's going to be pretty hard with covid partly because of the way that covid it, it affects someone makes them pretty ill so they're not in in a very good state of mind to be discussing end of life issues and and then importantly also because of the physical distancing that's needed so apart from the fact that you know that you can to some degree prepare yourself if you're willing to do that um, for a person's death generically, I suppose people could could do that in the community. But honestly, I I don't think I don't think we can do a lot to prepare because of the slightly longer timeline than, for example, a car crash. That leads me to an interesting idea, which is if we don't have the ability to do something prior to the death, maybe we should just be preventing the death altogether. And I know that this is coming from my perspective as someone who studied pandemics, but we have seen this in other examples. I go back to car accidents. We saw so many of them that it led to increased safety interventions, such as ABS brakes and seat belts. In healthcare, the amount of deaths that were happening as a result of care itself led to the development of infection prevention and control measures. Do you believe that grief is enough to possibly pressure society into making a change so that we can be more safe and possibly more effective at preventing infection from spreading so we never have to worry about death in the first place? Well, I, I certainly think that is a really good idea. I think that's a wonderful idea, and it is the kind of thing that we do see, so it's very possible. So first of all, I mean, we are seeing, of course, a huge effort from the scientific community to try to understand this particular virus better and to be able to prevent the, the deaths from this particular virus, which we are all hopeful that we will be able to do, both through, um, through of course, vaccinations ultimately to prevent the illness and also through better treatments to help people um, recover when they do get it. And I think both lines of research are in, in, in you know, um, resources are being put to that so that I think that's a, a very much a, a, a realistic hope. And I think what you're also saying, though, is that now we've learned something about how we have to respond when there is a pandemic of any sort um, and, you know, getting us getting ourselves better organized to be able to do that. I think there, there's a lot of work going on in that in that direction as well. So Yes, I think you're absolutely right. There is hope that we can do something um, to prevent this in the future, or mitigate it at least. That takes us to the end of the discussion. But I'm sure we haven't answered all of your questions. Now it's your turn to ask about grief. 
tweet me at jatetro or email me at thegermguy at gmail.com. Now head over to speakpipe.com slash sass and post your question. We'll take several of them and give you the answers next week. In the meantime, for Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It really does help to spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to Catherine Shear. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Dila Velasquez is our story producer. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week. Be safe. And as always, make sure to show them some sass. <laughs>